0: Los Angeles has grown from a sleepy Pueblo to a vast, seething, metropolitan city. Los Angeles is modern, and the architecture adapted to the climate. No soot nor snow dulls the beauty of such buildings. And Hollywood, it is part of Los Angeles, you know. Yes, this is Hollywood, the city of the stars, the famous, the fabulous,
1: the glamorous Hollywood. Welcome to L.A. History, the
2: history of L.A.
1: I'm James Scott
2: and I'm Shelby Scott. Thanks for joining us for this brand new podcast venture of ours. You may know me from the podcast Scary to Sleep, which is completely different from this beast. There, I try to scare you. Here, we're going to inform you. My husband, James, and I actually bonded in our early dating years over our love and obsession with the history of Los Angeles. It's got a gritty and convoluted past, much of which wants to stay buried. We initially wanted to start the show by giving the history going street by street, and we started with Sunset Boulevard. Well, once we started digging, we realized that these historical buildings on Sunset deserved episodes all their own. So for this season, we will be exploring all of Sunset Boulevard One cigarette butt littered venue at a time.
1: Today's episode is going to be about the Rainbow Bar and Grill at 9015 Sunset. And it's one of my favorite watering holes.
2: And it was one of mine (laughs) a long time ago. Yeah, you were
1: a Sunset Boulevard creature back in the day i, I was <laughs> i was hey you, i can't blame you though sunset's amazing i love sunset boulevard that's that's the reason we're doing this show is we bring back sunset damn it
2: yeah yeah
1: on uh, on november 5th 2019 the west hollywood city council voted to bestow the legendary rainbow barn and grill and its equally legendary next door neighbor the roxy with historic landmarks. Another
2: sets. old stomping ground of mine.
1: Yeah, the Roxy. That's that we'll get pretty heavy. I think we're going to kind of wrap up the Roxy into this one because they're neighbors. Yeah. They it's the, they're like the same little, you know, part of Sunset. So
2: Different vibes though if you go. Yeah. They really do have different vibes. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, definitely these days too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they, they were—they're were giving out historic landmarks to a few places on Sunset. Thank God Which they is gave amazing. the whiskey. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. They gave the whiskey one. Now they gave uh, the the rainbow and the Roxy one, and I'm really happy to see that because I'm I'm really worried that LA is slipping into well,
2: as the series goes on. You guys will hear about a lot of places that aren't here anymore that mm-hmm. didn't you know weren't were demolished before they got their historical landmark status, and it's really sad. And so it's really yeah. nice to see all these CD bars being, <laughs> yeah. you know, held within, you know, Amber for the rest of time.
1: Yeah, and you've got to go to the Rainbow because it's... It really is held in Amber. Like, they still have the... uh before the Rainbow, it was called the Villanova, which we'll get into in this episode. They still have the cash register from the Villanova from 1935. They still have the cash mm-hmm. register. The the buttons go up to ninety dollars on the cash register because I guess if you were spending ninety dollars at a restaurant in those days, you were you had to be you know a billionaire.
2: You can still smoke on the patio, which is actually really really rare in LA.
1: Yeah, in,
2: in LA, you usually can't smoke within like fifty yeah. feet of a building. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can smoke on the patio next to the Lemmy statue that they have up because there uh, is a
2: lemmy statue yeah rip
1: rip lemmy that was his he had a bar stool that he sat at every single day at the rainbow he even while he wasn't touring had an apartment like almost next to the rainbow because he went every single day so they have his statue yeah it's a really cool place um let's see
2: Oops. By the way, if you hear paper shuffling, it's because James <laughs> has actual notes. I I'm going off the top of my head with yeah. just bits of knowledge that I've remembered from over the years. Yeah. So he's the authority, really. But so <laughs> if you hear me say, "Did you know?" You should probably give it a Google before you actually start spouting it somewhere.
1: No, no, you've got a you've got vast knowledge here. But um, yeah, and you get, when you go to Rainbow, you got to go inside uh, the red booths. It's this. It's the old school red well, booth.
2: First, back up. The reason okay. he's saying you have to go inside, which sounds so obvious uh, for an establishment, oh yeah, I guess that's is true. because you don't enter through like a front door. You go through the patio, and you can sit on the right. patio. A lot of people kind of stop at the patio because the inside. I've heard a lot of people have, like I've I've been with friends in the past who have been like, "Ooh, we should probably not go in there
0: because it <laughs> really does patio. look like
2: a seedy bar." Oh, yeah. yeah, and it so is. like it's. It's intimidating to some people to go in, which a lot of people are probably laughing their asses off, like thinking, like, really, it's intimidating because oh, it's not. That...
1: Oh, they give you the eyeballs, like the scratches. Yeah, and, and to
2: tourists, it probably is. Yeah, yeah, I
1: love it. You go up these like old carpeted stairs up to the bathroom, and you're you're always passing somebody coming out, like, you know, like <laughs> like covered in what? Is that cocaine powder. or
2: a blowjob? I don't know. <laughs> both,
1: both, both usually yeah. on the stairs. But uh, yeah, it's 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 chock full of history. This place, um, Motley Crue sat there in the '80s in one of those red. They booths. also
2: got cocaine and blowjobs. Yeah, there. they
1: got cocaine and blowjobs. They would get mm. blowjobs under the table. Yes. Uh, while they sat there. John F. Kennedy used to sit at the third bar stool, and uh, apparently he would pick up his mistresses here at the Rainbow. You'll hear that a lot.
2: One mistress in
1: particular. Yeah, Marilyn. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, John. (laughs) But uh, if you're a fan of 80s rock music videos, um, you might recognize the bar from two Guns N' Roses videos, November Rain or Estranged. And I'll get into what all the rainbows showed up everywhere. But uh, that's the thing about the building. It's hard to even begin with the history in this place. If I were to name every rock band that partied their faces off at the rainbow, in the seventies and eighties, I'd have to name every rock band in the seventies and eighties. And if I were to name every movie star or celebrity that hung out at the Villanova in the forties through the sixties, I'd have to name every movie star from forties to sixties. It's like Errol Flynn to poison from Motley Crue, the Charlie Chaplin. You know, it's, it's, it's thick history here. Thick, thick. So hop in that big flashy red convertible and point it down the strip. And when you pass the Roxy, you'll be at the ramp. I actually wrote that. I, I can tell. <laughs> was I drunk when I wrote I this? <laughs> it's, um, yeah. As I said before, the unique A-frame building was constructed in 1935 for an English-themed nightclub known as Queen. <clears throat> It was only open for a short stint and on March 5th, 1936, Queen reopened as Club Esquire. So it was only open for like a year as Queen. So they built the whole thing British style and it was open and they for were a like, year.
2: This sucks. Yeah,
1: this sucks. Never mind. And it reopened as Club Esquire in 1936 and it was managed by a guy, a dancer named Dapper Danny Dolan. <sighs> And I got to tell you about this guy.
2: Wow. That's quite a moniker.
1: (laughs) Dapper Danny Doling. You can look him up. He's an interesting dude. Um, So before I get into him, Esquire, it had been moved from its original location at 8266 Sunset, where it was cited for gambling in January 1935. Mm. And uh, that makes sense for old Dapper Dan. He was a choreographer for a lot of dance scenes and movies, and in April 1934, He married stewardess and former actress Marjorie Crawford Wellman for six months from April to October,
2: 1934. That's a good healthy
1: run in Hollywood. It It was an extremely 1930s marriage.
2: Oh. So
1: I'm about to tell you the story of their marriage.
2: I think I understand where you're going with this. The
1: headline of their marriage read, Dowling to face trial despite marrying girl. Los Angeles, despite his marriage to the complaining witness, R.C. Dapper Danny Dowling, film dance director, must stand trial on kidnapping charges. Oh, shit. Accused of kidnapping Miss Marjorie Crawford Wellman, former actress to whom he was married a week ago, Dowling appeared arm-in-arm with his bride before Judge Fletcher in yesterday and heard his case set for trial. So
2: he kidnapped his own wife.
1: He kidnapped, he married her... So he kidnaps this girl, Marjorie, uh-huh. and then they're going to send him to trial for kidnapping her so he marries her so he can be like, look, I'm married to her now. Like, oh, shit. we're legit. It's not a kidnapping anymore.
2: That actually, <laughs> they, like, pedophiles used to do that. That happened with um, that case uh, that, that Lolita was based on. If you, uh, if you guys ever read the book Rust and Stardust, it's really good. But yeah, yeah this dude would, like, go kidnap, like underage girls and then marry them and since it was the fucking 30s the government was like i don't know man that's your wife now that's what that's what happened
1: here (sighs) that's what happened here they did and i she managed to divorce him but uh the the article goes on to say at his preliminary hearing miss wellman alleged dowling had forced her under threat of death to accompany to him accompany him to yuma arizona oh (laughs) hey to yuma Where she escaped marrying him by pleading illness. And then the judge said, certain portions of the kidnapping story appeared improbable. (laughs) And so he overruled the prosecution motion for Uh dismissal. But there's evidence on record that Dowling was guilty of assault or someone is guilty of perjury. So, yeah, they got dismissed. Okay. Um Deputies of the district attorney's office said a wife must testify against her husband if she is the injured party. At some point after that, she managed to divorce him. I don't know how. But there is one more article that contains some stuff that I thought you'd enjoy. Mm -hmm. The headline was, Bathtub Romance Washed Out.
2: (laughs) I do enjoy that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's enjoyable. (sighs) And uh, it referred to the uh, kidnapping romance of the Flying Waitress. The
2: flying waitress. Is that what they called flight attendants? That's what what
1: this article called her. And they put kidnapping in quotes, by the way. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The kidnapping of the flying waitress. And it goes on to say, like, she probably shouldn't have shown her ankles so much. Obviously. (laughs) You know, my
2: grandma wanted to be a flight attendant in, like, the 40s, 50s. But she didn't because they were known as, like... Loose
1: women. <laughs> they didn't, she didn't want to be a flying waitress. Yeah, she
2: didn't want to be a like a hussy.
1: <laughs> hey, you get some money on the side. Those, mm-hmm. you know, on those wicker chairs. Well, you airplanes. know, not all of
2: them acted as sex workers, but you know, they were just they had a bad light about them back yeah, then. Yeah, for you know? sure.
1: Yeah, those damn flying waitresses. <laughs> flying waitresses. Yeah. So Danny Dapper Dan is uh he's running the Esquire, and it became popular with the film crowd because he implemented this policy, and I, I'm not. Sure, how new the policy was, but it had to be pretty new. He implemented mm-hmm. a policy where uh, you can't take pictures inside the club, so no press oh, could come so in there.
2: Perfect for yeah. celebrities. Yeah,
1: so like movie or stars, presidents or, or of presidents. the
2: United States. Boom. Yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, and this this. Also gets very mafia heavy. And the whole... This whole show will get very mafia heavy. L.A.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said before, if you've seen Chinatown or whatever, you know.
1: Yeah, and... and a theme that will happen throughout, as we're talking about these L.A. clubs in the past, is a lot of them being shut down for illegal activity. Because mm-hmm. in these days, it was just kind of... Gangsters would just kind of move around their clubs all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they would just shut one down, open up a new one, shut that one down, open up a new one. And that kind of happened with the Ramble a lot. Uh, by 1937, Club Esquire was operated by Bugsy Siegel's pal, Al Smiley. And... They were cited for non-compliance with the 2 a.m. closing law, and in July, as Smiley was booking new acts for the venue, Club Esquire was denied a liquor permit. So, and I'm thinking there had to be a something a little more than that liquor permit, because they I shut mean, it down. so
2: gangsters had such fun names back then. Yeah. If you're, like, at the <laughs> county office, and, a, a, like, a permit uh, application comes across your desk for a guy named Al Smiley, yeah. you're like, oh, no. No. No,
1: no, I know uh, no, he's murdered someone. He like <laughs> he like makes people smile with a knife. Yeah, with, you know, it's like, like the a Joker. guy named
2: Tiny. It's like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he's
1: gonna be five hundred pounds, yeah. right? <laughs> and yeah, they they shut down the club um, in nineteen thirty seven. It became Ray Haller's Club, and Haller was affiliated with a the Hawaiian themed Seven Seas Cocktail Lounge on Hollywood Boulevard. So he opened it. He took it over in nineteen thirty seven. It was again raided by the sheriff's vice squad. And in How ja- about that? How about that? In January 1938 for violating the state liquor law. After this raid, the club changed hands again, and this time to Frank Irvine, a former cop who called the club the Mermaid Club. Ooh. And uh, there's, there's some good footage. If you go look, you can go look it up on YouTube or Getty. Uh, there's footage of the Mermaid Club. Oh. Yeah, there's footage. Were of there mermaids? there was mermaids no but really did they have
2: like waitresses dressed as mermaids (laughs) that would be awesome he's looking at me like I'm (laughs) insane I don't know
1: how they would walk around with their tails no like in a you know a shell
2: bra and like
1: that would be cool Ray Howard definitely should have done that. Something cute. I don't know. Something shiny. The camera didn't go inside of the club. (laughs) You can just kind of see it from the boulevard. I'm not crazy. I would love mermaid waitresses. That would be a great idea. Maybe we should open the mermaid club. (laughs) How would they um... walk around? You're a jerk. Uh, Former cop or not, Frank was also raided for the same offense as all of his predecessors. And in October, it was shut down yet again.
2: By the way, I'm so sorry for my squeaky chair. For those who listen to scare you to sleep, <laughs> I'm sitting in the fucking chair that I used to complain oh no. about all the time Oh no. that I got rid of, but it's still in our, it's in our, our dwelling. Yeah. It still exists it here. We now. didn't just toss it, but like it, I'm sitting in it now and I had forgotten how
1: fucking <laughs>
2: squeaky it is. So I'm sorry again to anybody out there who have already apologized to you about this goddamn chair.
1: That's my typewriter chair. Cause Shelby got me a typewriter. I did. Cause I want to be a... An old 1930s G He wants to be reporter. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, let's face it. Without,
2: you know, the Hawaiian garden stuff.
1: <laughs> and the mermaid waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and in the footage as well, if you look next to uh, next to the Mermaid Club, it's the uh, West Side Supermarket, and that is what would become the Roxy.
2: That eventually. was a supermarket? It was a supermarket.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What? Yeah, back That's in the That's why, like, have you been in there?
1: No, actually, I've not been. Inside so a rock it's anymore.
2: got like a weird downstairs area oh, okay. that's like you can when you're in there you can tell it was maybe something else at some time because uh, it, it's built like it's it, it's built like a cool bar but it's uh, built odd like there's a downstairs area and there's okay. like the stage is weird it is built in an odd way cool. now that that makes more sense that it was something else.
1: But <laughs> so Ray Howler's club gets shut down. Uh, and that kind of ended the back and forth with shutdowns. Ray Haller was kind of the last one to own it before it became the Villanova. And uh, I think the mob probably just like wanted to leave the damn place alone. It was cursed, clearly, sure. or something. <laughs> yeah. So they still hung out there, but... After this, it was basically, it was bought by a husband and wife, Alan and Charlotte Dale, in the 1930s, with some money loaned Wait, to them. Wait, we're still
2: in the 1930s? Yeah, we're still That's in the how 30s. many times it was closed yes. down in the yep. 30s? Yep, in I thought 30s. by now we would surely be no. into the 40s.
1: That's how many times, I mean, it must have looked crazy to the people who lived around there. It was like a different club. That
2: sign maker, like whatever six local months. sign maker was <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah. Jeez,
1: yeah, just raking it in. Yeah, it changed hands a lot. That's one of the reasons why it was kind of hard to research this place is because it was like, in the <laughs> beginning, it was it was four different clubs before you even got to the Villanova. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, Charlotte Dale um, and her wife, or <laughs> her husband, Alan, Alan and Charlotte Dale, they bought the club with some money, loaned to them by Charlie Chaplin. Um, and Charlie Chaplin... Talk ate, about
2: friends in high places. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is... it. That's kind of... Villanova started out... As, like, that's why I became so big with celebrities, I think, mm-hmm. is because Charlie Chaplin was well, involved. you in know,
2: I was just at – I was just filming a thing at um, this theater downtown called the Los, Los Angeles Theater. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the history, and it was another one where Charlie Chaplin had, like, really? loaned money to someone to, like, build this theater. It's, like, I'm really interested to see how much – yeah. Charlie Chaplin himself has touched yeah. all over L.A. just by, like, loaning people money. Yeah. Like, his pockets were deep, so, yeah. you know, he had to pay for yeah. all those wives.
1: Yeah, we'll probably have multiple episodes where we talk about how him putting in money. He was kind of like, it's interesting because mm-hmm. that's, like, Hugh Hefner down the road. Where Hugh mm-hmm. Hefner now, like, the Hollywood sign is partially. Yeah, he
2: saved it. He saved yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm.
1: he would just put money into so much historic he would. L.A. Yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, Charlie Chaplin had put up money for a place called Henry's on Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, Alan, Alan Dale, was one of the guys involved in that deal. Uh And Charlie Chaplin really liked Alan because Alan was Italian. And I guess Charlie Chaplin liked... Italians?
2: Italians.
1: That's, okay. So. Wasn't
2: Charlie Chaplin English? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm not
2: he sure. was he was. Really? He was English. Was I'm trying English? to remember. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. If yeah. you guys haven't seen the Charlie Chaplin movie with Robert Downey oh, Jr. It's so good. phenomenal. But yeah. um yeah, he was English. Maybe he was a I don't know. Anyway. Yeah.
1: So Alan uh, <laughs> and Charlotte opened the original location on Hollywood and Vine called Villa Frascati. And uh, on opening day, there's a story where Alan had to walk up Vine and pawn a watch for cash for the cash register. Oh, my
2: God. Yeah. What is wrong with
1: this place? (laughs) They eventually moved to Doheny for a while Mm -hmm. and finally at the location on Sunset Boulevard. And after a little promotion from Charlie Chaplin and word spreading about the no press policy, which they kept uh, from. Yeah, they kept it. That's the
2: smartest thing that any of them have done. Yeah. yeah
1: a staggering amount of movie stars and musicians, hung out at Villanova from the 30s all the way to the 1960s. Wow. And it was crazy. Like, being there in those days was, you could just go, you could be at anybody on Sunset mm-hmm. Boulevard and go in this bar, and it would be Errol so, Flynn. Okay,
2: so you it wasn't, like, invitation only? No. Like, you could go, You like, you right. and I could just show yeah. up? Yeah,
1: you could just show up to the Villanova oh. and go in. It was a restaurant. It was an Italian restaurant.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. and Yeah,
1: that's, that was it. It was mainly an Italian restaurant where movie stars would hang out, but you could go.
2: Man, I you wonder how a... good their food was.
1: It was, uh, Dean Martin said he would go there all the time because the food was just like in Italy. What? That's what he said. Yeah. That
2: was pretty funny. That sounded like we just set that up for him to tell me that <laughs> fact, but we didn't. Like, I was actually
1: wondering how good the food was. It was a little further down the And notes. I'm
2: making us Italian for, din- for dinner tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like, we're going to pretend we're at the
1: Villanova. You can, and if you go to the Rainbow, um, there's a skylight in mm-hmm. the ceiling and it says Villanova. It's from the Villanova being. I've yeah. never yeah, we got. I'll go, yeah, yeah, we got to go look. And now they they put like rainbow lights around the Villanova. Yeah. So it's like a double, you know, historical uh-huh. thing. But uh, yeah, you'd have Errol Flynn getting drunk. Ava Gardner sat nearby, <sighs> sipping a cocktail. God, she was so hot. <laughs> Ava Gardner and she probably banged Daryl Flynn if she really dated the did the
2: ugliest dudes too
1: <laughs> table 13 sat Jack Webb Joe mm-hmm. Friday himself after every Friday night while filming dragnet and it was funny because they would be filming You be, said
2: Joe Friday himself like any of our audience I know I know idea what you're
1: somebody about. out there was like yay <laughs> Joe Friday but it was my it was,
2: parents <laughs> who were listening
1: yeah it's cool to me because he was doing dragnet he jack webb was this Uh actor who did dragnet all the way from a radio show to a black and white show to a in color show and (laughs) shelby looks pretty bored with that dragnet but uh and it was was all about like cops catching mobsters Uh and he would sit in this bar at villanova and he would be full of mobsters and i always thought that was kind of cool i wonder if ever if any mobsters were ever like Do you
2: think they, like, didn't appreciate that? They were like, you're telling, like, all of America that this is, like, we're full of mobsters. This place has been raided by the police, like, 800 times. Can you, like, not? Can
1: you not be here? And uh, yeah, Table Two was where Dean Martin had a weekly dinner with his family. And I thought was his, his
2: first <laughs> real yeah, family. His
1: first real family. And I think it's funny because it says after dinner with family, his family would leave and his agents would come and he'd have meetings with his agents. <laughs> it's like, get the fuck out of here. I got to do business. <laughs> oh, whoops. Beep. But uh I've, yeah.
2: I've said blowjobs and cocaine. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's very true. Times. I don't think
1: this is. Uh, Don Knotts. Who owner Charlotte? I love Don yeah, Knotts. me too. Charlotte Dale called him a white bread Casanova. <laughs> that was what? her name. He would come in Villanova. He was spotted in Villanova with a different like model every single night. Don Knotts. He was coming. Apparently, he was like going through every model. What was in it, town. that one the
2: Incredible Mister Limpet or something? Mister yeah. Chicken. Oh yeah, yeah Mister Chicken. Mister Chicken. Oh, you know. God. Yeah,
1: Barney Fife was coming in there. just Lord. Like, yeah, cleaning up, I guess. <laughs>
2: All
1: right. <laughs> and uh, this is where the Villanova was where Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio went on their first ever date at the Villanova. Yes. And I got the full story because I was pretty unclear. And this might – there people will listen to this and probably still – have corrections for me because this story, there's so many... It's been told by different people. It's been told by so many different people. There's so many iterations of it. But this is what I have. (laughs) Marilyn Monroe went to a Chicago White Sox uh, spring training camp in Pasadena. Okay. And she posed with Gus Uh Zernial, who was being called the new Joe DiMaggio. Ooh. Yeah. And there was like another guy in the picture. I can't remember his name. People are going to scream at me. But... um, yeah, she takes this picture. You know
2: what's great about podcasting? What? You can't hear them scream at you.
1: Amen. Amen. And uh, Marilyn posed on home plate, holding a bat in short shorts or hot pants.
2: Hot pants. Or
1: hot pants, as oh. the article called it. Do you
2: want to tell everybody what you guys used to call them in Mississippi? Growing
1: up? <laughs> yeah, I did not, but I oh, knew I'm certain sure people. You never did. I knew certain people who did refer to them as coochie cutters. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, though. I think a country song said that, I'm pretty sure. Or Dukes a Hazard or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs>
2: They called them Daisy Dukes because of Daisy Duke. That's true. Or maybe I guess they didn't call them Daisy
1: Dukes. If, Coochie if she cutters. Was... <laughs> God. But uh, this article referred to them as hot pants. And she had on a tight sweater and high heels. And she was about to hit a home run. And uh, oh, there's my paper. <clears throat> so Sorry, teachers. <laughs> nobody thought much of the routine publicity shots until Zernio received a phone call from Joe DiMaggio himself, who asked Gus, who's the blonde and how can I get in touch with her?
2: That's so funny because one thing throughout both their lives is they mm. never understood how famous the other yeah. one was. Yeah. Like She was... She literally told him one time, like, you'll never understand what it feels like to be standing in front of a stadium and people are yelling your name. And he's yeah. like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. I do that, like, every night. Well, yeah. and, he's,
1: and he's over here just like, who's yeah. that blonde? Yeah. It's Marilyn Ex- Monroe. Exactly. That's I, just
2: so odd. And that's Both how, of them were yeah. so in such different worlds, yeah. you know?
1: And it's interesting. I mean, I can totally imagine a New York baseball player at the time not having any clue who, yeah. an, who an actress was, you mm-hmm. know? And. A California actress, not having any clue who, you know. But, um, yeah, so Gus told him it was Marilyn Monroe and recommend trying her press agent, David March. And Joe happened to know David from drinking with him at a place called Toots Shores in Manhattan. Toots Shores. Toots Shores. So he was drinking with him there, and he was like, oh, David, I'll just go ask David then. Mm -hmm. So March called Marilyn, trying to set up a blind date. And Marilyn said, no. (laughs) Marilyn said, I don't care to meet him. Uh, I don't like men in loud clothes with checked suits and big muscles and pink ties. I get nervous. Well. That's what Marilyn said. Yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah. She didn't want some roided up baseball player. I mean,
2: she ended up marrying Arthur Miller. So yeah, (laughs) she really didn't. Yeah, Yeah. that
1: wasn't her type. Mm -hmm. Marilyn didn't care for sports very much. She admitted when she heard the name DiMaggio, she thought perhaps Joe DiMaggio was an Italian actor. (laughs) <laughs> so she thought he was like some. I've never heard of him because he's a, a, in Italy. Yeah. So March filled Marilyn in on who DiMaggio was. You know, he's this famous baseball player, and she eventually kind of agreed. Which back in those days, I guess you know who knows. Well, probably.
2: I'm sure it was a little bit like it'll look good it'll for look publicity because like thing. okay, yeah. Marilyn, you don't know who he is, but he's like huge. He's yeah. really big in baseball. So
1: right, right. Just... yeah, it's like a PR date. Yeah, they. They still do that to this day. They'll set people up to go out. Oh, for sure. But uh, on March 8, 1952, Marilyn arrived at the Villanova two hours late to meet Joe along Classic. with... Classic.
2: <laughs> Classic Marilyn.
1: And Joe was with uh, March, uh, her PR guy, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend at the time, actress Peggy. So it
2: wasn't just the two of them? No,
1: it was a double date.
2: Oh. And
1: that's one thing that's contested. Some people say it was just the two of them. Oh. So, but... March claimed that he was there, and at the time he was dating Peggy Rabe, the actress, Hmm. and it was, that was the double date between those two and Marilyn and Joe. And, uh, Marilyn was most impressed initially, apparently, with Joe's polka dot necktie, and she asked him how he got one of the polka dots on it perfectly centered. That's, apparently, she was like really hung up on his polka dot necktie, and it sounds to me like she was just, Super nervous and super.
2: Super nervous, super high, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe super we high. Can't lie. Yeah, that's very true. I didn't. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: People just, don't like to remember that. Yeah, like, she was often pretty high on those
1: 1930s. Whenever pretty, I work, 40s I
2: get to work at Fox, um, where she worked a lot with like Billy Wilder. Mm. They famously, a few times, like, Arthur Miller would show up and, like, drag her off oh, set because right. she was so drunk. And, like, I always, like, there's parts of it where I know they filmed movies. And I'm, yeah. like, I try to picture her just, like, <laughs> screaming and, like, <sighs> it, like a drunk, like, being dragged into a limo by Arthur yeah. Miller. Anyway.
1: On this date, she was like, how did she get the polka dot sitter? And so, with the polka dot being the highlight, this initial date uh, settled into a very boring night <laughs> until... Mickey Rooney walked into... Oh, God. You guys. Yeah.
2: James knows. I have a... Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. dated every yeah. hot actress in Hollywood. Like, hot. He's like
1: five feet tall. And
2: look, height doesn't matter. I'm not a fish. No, heightist. that's true. That's I'm really true. not. No. But he was just kind of... I don't know. Like, He's... anyway.
1: Yeah. No, I, anyway. I, I I get it. But I guess it was like they had seen him since they were kids. You know, he had been famous since he was a kid type of thing. <laughs> they
2: were like, oh, I need some of that. <laughs> I don't know. He it's did, like, you know, he didn't have the roidy, like, Errol Flynn type look. Not right. that Errol Flynn looked roidy, but he didn't have the classic, like, yeah. oh, this is going to be some dude who's into himself look. He looked very amiable and, like, And he you did know. a
1: great Twilight Zone episode. He did. Where he played that jockey, the horse jockey He, he did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Mickey Rooney walks in the into the Villanova and he sees Marilyn, and of course they know each other. And he sees Marilyn sitting with Joe DiMaggio, and it's like that's Joe fucking DiMaggio. And apparently Mickey <laughs> Rooney went nuts and was oh like, God. "Oh my God, I worship you, Joe. DiM- here's your stats. You know, here's like, your stats. <laughs> I don't know if you know who you are, but you're Joe DiMaggio." And so Marilyn sees this going down, and it gives Joe major, you know, points with Marilyn. Yeah, super points. Yeah. Yeah. And Marilyn's like, okay, maybe this dude is, you know, worth getting in my hot pants. For sure. Or my coochie cutters. (laughs) (laughs) God, I I should never say that again. Ever. (laughs) I wrote here in the notes that after Marilyn saw the one and only Mickey Rooney going nuts over Joe at the Villanova, she decided maybe he was a guy worth unstrapping all that 1950s underwear for.
2: And you know... That's that is worth saying is. because that was a lot of underwear. Lot I had to wear underwear. it before. Yeah, it's a lot of underwear. Lot of,
1: if you're gonna take all that off for somebody, they better be worth yeah. it. Yeah, they better be Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. So the rest of the day went well. Marilyn drove DiMaggio home to uh, the Knickerbocker Hotel where he was staying at the time. Hmm. And Marilyn, recalling her first meeting with Joe, said, "I expected a flashy New York sports type, and instead I met this reserved guy who didn't make a pass at me right away." I had dinner with him almost every night for two weeks. He treated me like something special. He treated me like something special. I was
2: waiting for you to do a Maryland voice, but that was not it.
1: (laughs) Joe is a very decent man, and he makes other people feel decent. That's like Trump. (laughs) 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 Joe's a great guy. He's a great man.
2: It's very breathy. I can't do it either. I'm not not a (laughs) voice person. (laughs) <laughs> How many times are you gonna sing happy birthday? That was that
1: Marilyn's episode? thing.
2: She did it like one was, time.
1: But we've done our Marilyn research and she was a great actress. Everybody go watch Niagara.
2: Oh, yeah. I showed James guys. Niagara. And yeah. it, it's it. a lot of people know Gentlemen Prefer Blondes or Some Like It Hot, which are great movies. Yeah, totally. Niagara is a serious thriller that she did with Joseph Cotton. She was
1: good, man. She was, she was fantastic. Yeah. She was really scary. Mm-hmm, she really was. Go watch that immediately right now. To, pause this. Go watch it and come back. So, uh, they dated for two years before marrying on January 14th, 1954, in a marriage that would be a total disaster. Um, but that wasn't the only disaster I mean, romance. the
2: man sent her flowers to her grave like every week that after she died, true. so something went wrong. That is
1: very true. Yeah, it might have been a little bit on Marilyn there. She was too busy with uh, John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. But uh, that wasn't the only disaster romance at Villanova. Movie director and co-owner of the Villanova... <clears throat> Vincente Minnelli, proposed to Judy Garland there. Mm -hmm. And after their divorce, he married uh, Denise Hale, who he met at the Villanova after their divorce.
2: Oh, wow. So, yeah. Bringing lovers together.
1: Villanova was like his hub, you know. Wow. But yeah, that's uh,
2: when you go now. You don't feel love in the air. No, I, it doesn't sure. make me particularly well, amorous. I think Alice
1: Cooper like burned all the love out of that place, <laughs> and Molly Crew, and they definitely didn't make it a very romantic spot in the '80s anymore. <laughs> it definitely it was definitely not a place to go bring your like first date. <laughs> and else? also
2: the blowjobs. They really, if you watch no, the dirt on it, Netflix, that um, If you've seen that, that part that is in the Rainbow, yeah. like that happened. Yeah. I wasn't just saying that to be. Ass. That was
1: in the rainbow and filmed in the rainbow at the actual booth where that happened. Yeah, they would go have their meetings there. And that poor
2: actress had to like get, oh, <laughs> get under there. Oh God, I hope they clean oh, the other man. side of those tables. I hope Ugh. she got
1: paid well for that. She probably didn't. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Vincente Minnelli, he was one of the co-owners, and that's where he uh, proposed to Judy Garland. And years later, Liza Minnelli. Uh, the child of Judy and Vincente would frequent the rainbow bar and grill. Oh. And um, cool. some people believe that they called it the rainbow because of Judy Garland and her famous song. But what song? it was
2: it, I'm not familiar. Oh
1: it's this song. <laughs> I'll show you later. <laughs> no. But uh most people say it was because it was open in the seventies and it was just like, you know, Rainbows were every- yeah
2: like my mom had a rainbow sticker yeah. on her like V W yeah. like or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. rainbows were everywhere. You hear yeah. a lot
1: of shit out here. But <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so after the, uh, after the second world war the mafia in Los Angeles took advantage of the boom that was happening in the construction aircraft and film industries and the LAVB, LAPD vice squad had this to say about this particular time period should I put on like a yeah, yeah. Right. there was so much loose money floating around that bookie joints gambling parlors and brothels peppered the city like palm trees And there to see some of the action was the syndicate. (laughs) I'm from New York. It was not unusual to see East Coast hoods hanging out in fancy clubs that dotted the Sunset Strip in the late 1940s. A power struggle existed among Old Guards, Bugsy Siegel, Jack Dragna, Johnny Roselli, and Jimmy Fox for a piece of the action. Even feared Mafia boss Frank Costello had a hand in influencing how things were being run. At the center of this struggle was Mickey Cohen. A powerful, self-made criminal actively engaged in bookmaking and prostitution with plenty of politicians in his pocket. Mickey Cohen. This is where we're going to get into that.
2: Mickey Cohen was big time. He
1: was big time. He was serious. He was the L.A. mob.
2: Is he the one... I'm not as familiar with mob stuff, but is he the one who moved... The mob to Vegas because L.A. was hard to mob in.
1: Yes. Yeah. He's the one and There's Bugsy like, Siegel. Bugsy Siegel okay. is known which as one like had the, the father the, of Vegas. Well,
2: which one had that famous quote about like L.A. is... That
1: was Mickey Cohen. Okay. Because at first it was... I think they, they were definitely successful in the 20s and 30s in L.A., mm-hmm. but it... They said that it was way harder to start it out here because LA was already so corrupt. Yeah. that they had to pay everybody. Yeah, he said
2: like you had to pay like the yeah. secretary. Yeah. You can, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, like
1: you had. There's to pay... a really
2: if you look it up. I don't have it yeah. in front of me, but if you look it up, there's a really <laughs> good quote by Mickey Cohen about yeah. like why they moved the yeah. mob to Vegas because LA was too corrupt. It was too like, corrupt. We all wanted our own piece of the pie. Yeah, and
1: I, I absolutely recommend a movie called Gangster Squad. It is. It's pretty ridiculous, oh, <laughs> I can't lie, but it's really good, it's really good it's it's Ryan Gosling, who's Shelby's favorite actor of all time, <laughs> and uh, it's about the yeah, it's about the Mickey Cohen era and the l a vice vice squad that they had started, and it was these like soldiers from World War two who were just given carte blanche to do whatever necessary to stop the mafia. They were torturing people it was yeah. it was yeah, they said uh Nowadays, those guys said that if they did what they did later on, you know, in the world, they mm-hmm. would be they would all be put in prison for the stuff that they did. Huh. Um, yeah, so one night in 1949, during the height of these mob wars, uh, Mickey Cohen ate dinner with John Stompanato and a few other guys. Johnny
2: Stompanato, I know Stampanato. him.
1: Johnny <laughs> And uh, they were all eating at the Villanova. And after dinner, they crossed the street to where they had parked their car right in front of Sherry's Nightclub, a place that was part-owned by famed Sunset Strip, Private Eye, and former NYPD detective Barney Ruditsky. So before they got to the car, they were blasted with a shotgun, wounding Mickey and killing his bodyguard, Nettie Herbert. So somebody just came out of nowhere, blew him away. And Sherry's is now another popular club called One Oak, where Suge Knight was shot 65 years later. Oh, look
2: at that. Right
1: in the same place as old huh. Mickey Cohen. Kind of the same dude, too. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the Mickey Cohen of rap music.
2: There you go.
1: Getting shot 65 years after that. 1-0, um, that's a different episode. We'll have to get into the history of that place. So, sunset shifts after this. After, you know, the, the 60s come along The big shift all began with the breakout of Vietnam. Vietnam happens, the hippie movement and the Sunset Strip curfew riots. And Bob Gibson, manager of the birds and the mamas and papas said, If you had to put your finger on an event that was a barometer of the tide turning, it would probably be the Sunset Strip riots in the 60s. By the mid-60s, the hippie and rock and roll counterculture dominated Sunset Boulevard, and during this time, the most popular spots on the boulevard were the Whiskey-A-Go-Go and Pandora's Box, which was opened as a little coffee shop in the late 50s, and had become a huge music venue and the hub of the boulevard's freak takeover, as they were calling it. At this time, Sunset was comparable to Bourbon Street when it comes to how crowded it was, and it was mostly hippie teens. And that's one of the interesting things about some of the old pictures and videos of sunset it's like nowadays it's like a it's a busy street traffic wise mm-hmm. back in those days it was people it was people all over the Which is street crazy. yeah and they, they were still i can't imagine it I know. and they were still like heavy traffic but it was kind of like intermingled with all the people like bourbon yeah. street you know mm-hmm. you can kind of imagine and uh yeah it was a sea of people before dirty floor. hippies dirty hippies <laughs> and uh <laughs> The street was congested with those giant 60s cars, everybody hanging out of their windows, climbing from car to car, passing around joints and beers and being dirty hippie teenagers. Yeah. It was a great place to be a kid in the 60s. <laughs> and <laughs> this was mainly due to all the clubs having youth permits. Teenagers oh, could gross. hang out in the club. Uh And I don't – it wasn't even, like, 18 or over. I think this is, like, 15. Like,
2: that's the thing. Hippie culture is very, like, everybody loves it and everything these days. Mm. But, like, there were a lot of, like, runaways and a lot of very young teens who got very taken advantage of and, like, raped and murdered and all the bad things. For sure. All because they were, like, runaways during this time because it was a very confusing time. And they ended up – and so these bars were doing Youth permits. Which meant that – the twenty five year old dirty hippie can bring his thirteen year old girlfriend? Yep. Like, ugh. Totally. Ugh.
1: Yeah, and they would go in there and of course the rule Grabs. the rule was like, if you're under twenty one, don't let us catch you drinking, but come on. I mean it was it was Pandora's box on Sunset Boulevard. But you can
2: be here with all, all these adults. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. But uh and you know they were they were doing all that stuff. But um in nineteen sixty six, the man came, totally ruined the vibes, dude. The city started cracking down, first setting their sights on the Whiskey-A-Go-Go, forcing the club's manager to change its name to The Whisk. What? Yeah, The Whisk.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. It's like a... The Whisk? Isn't
1: that like a cake... Kate- yeah batter thingy yeah 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 man you want to go see led zeppelin tonight at the whisk <laughs> yeah it was yeah. so after that they passed a strict curfew of 10 p.m was
2: it just because the name had whiskey in it yeah like
1: yeah like, yeah. yeah i guess whiskey a go-go was too I feel
2: like you can serve it yeah but like don't like right tell right people you that. can serve
1: it to the 15 year olds that are in there with their youth permits oh my god <laughs> yeah so they call it they had to change the name to the whisk for a while and uh, they set a curfew 10 p.m. you know it wasn't even enough time to like get your hot pants on and there was and they were they were serious wait, about the curfew wait the curfew
2: was for youths I or for everybody i think it was everybody? for
1: everybody i think the curfew on sunset boulevard was oh, 10 p.m. oh god that's odd maybe 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 it was just for the youths the youths <laughs>
2: i'll
1: have to look see more into that but, uh, they were very serious about it. There's a lot of footage of cops just beating the shit out of, like, teenagers <laughs> on the street on sunset. And they used to round them up and put them in paddy wagons and stuff. Like, they were not joking around. They would, they would come through and make sure these damn teenagers were off the street. Uh, one of the most drastic things the city was pushing for was the actual closure and demolition of Pandora's Box, which they saw as the center of all the trouble on the boulevard. And it's, that's, it's very interesting to me because I have never heard of the local government like seizing your business and shutting it down because they thought it was such a problem.
2: I have. I feel I mean, like... I, guess... I mean, famously, if yeah. you watch the cinematic classic The Best Little Whorehouse in oh, Texas... Oh, is that what was happening? Yeah, the state oh. shut, shut them down. Right. They were all mad. Yeah.
1: So. I mean, I guess I... Yeah, like it would be one thing... I guess the Pandora's box was a bar, but also it was... It was a bar. I just don't... I. I guess if it were uh I don't know. I don't know. I, See, that's just so you know. yeah, I guess so. They they must have really thought that's it.
2: That's another problem. thing. Um we've talked about a lot is like James is from Mississippi, I'm from Southern California, and um his fan like a lot of people in the South and like the East think of California as a very liberal state and mm-hmm. while we are very liberal in many ways we are also very conservative in a lot yeah. of ways and like yeah. so this doesn't really surprise me that the locals like had this bar shut down just
1: oh yeah because you know yeah I was shocked whenever I got out here to how conservative and how christian it is out here mm-hmm. you know I mean yeah it's it's definitely not what you would expect you know everybody from mississippi thinks la is just all the fruits and nuts out here is yeah, what they say fruits and nuts <laughs>
2: that's the nicest thing they say yeah, about that's people from california true. that i've heard <laughs>
1: So naturally, this didn't sit well with the Sunset Boulevard scene, and you know what hippies do when they get angry. They take some acid and hand out some flyers. <laughs>
2: God, not pamphlets. Oh On, God, no. on, on November 12,
1: 1966, <sighs> flyers were distributed along the strip, inviting people to gather in front of Pandora's box that night in a demonstration. Um, if you were around at this time you might have heard LA's favorite AM rock radio boss DJ Charlie Tuna on 93 Charlie KHJ Tuna. putting out the message for the demonstration and I kind of want I want to splice in some Charlie Tuna okay. right here I'm going to let every, I'm going to let you guys hear Charlie Tuna if I can find him actually talking about the demonstration that'd be great but here he is yeah.
0: KHJ Los Angeles 601 in Surf City, Los Angeles with Charlie Tuna. Charlie Tuna 93 KHJ. I stand on my records, break some time. 603 from KHJ. Sounds like a resuscitator unit gone wild. The zombies time. Music. K H J. Six oh six at K H J with Charlie Tuna Still taking your calls about the history of rock and roll. And the most used adjective so far has been fantastic. It's redundant, but it makes us feel nice. Ch- Ch- oh, music k-h-j second of three more hits in a row on the charlie tuna show at 617 at k-h-j and thank you so far for all the great compliments we received on the boss line about the history of rock and roll radio is a strange medium you have to be a little crazy you sit all alone in an eight by ten room staring at a piece of metal and talking into it I wonder if anybody's listening and if they're digging it you'd like to tell us what you thought of it 741 1141 is the number
1: <laughs> that evening one thousand demonstrators took over the boulevard in front of Pandora's box. And I can't even imagine a thousand people. Right. That building is like
2: oh, the smell. thirty
1: feet, you know, it's yeah, the smell. Uh Jack Nicholson and Peter Fonda were there and Peter Fonda they got, they both got arrested. Oh. Those fondas love hand, handcuffs. They
2: really right? do. They <laughs> love getting it's in arrested. their blood. It's
1: in their blood, I swear. The protest went through the next night and really on and off through the next two months. Soon, the city took away the youth permits from the clubs, making it illegal to even go inside if you weren't 21 or they should, (laughs) to be completely honest. (laughs) Hey, man. Like, for real. They wrecked our vibe, man. I would have been pissed as a 17-year-old. But, uh... And finally, in 1967, the L.A. City Council voted to acquire and demolish the Pandora's box. And that they did. Um... That was what was happening outside the doors of the Villanova in the 60s, and... The Villanova at the time was kind of, it wasn't doing that well. Uh, with all these young rock venues up and down the boulevard, the 60s youth really weren't going to, you know, the stuffy old Italian, Italian. Villanova. Oh, uh, God, and by then it'd
2: be like a lot of like, I imagine like a lot of red velvet that's just getting all Yeah, I,
1: I worked at the Hamburger Hamlet, yeah. and that's exactly what it was like. I worked at, it'll be another episode, but I worked at the Hamburger Hamlet right next to the Rainbow Barn Grill, an old Red Booth hamburger place and yeah by the time I got there like that it It was old wood on the walls and the yeah the booths were smelled
2: like old lady yeah oh yeah yeah
1: for sure it was like a musty old (laughs) I mean I loved it you know don't get me wrong but but these places do but I
2: can see why they close yeah Yeah. for
1: sure and you, you know like yeah you're you're it's 1965 and you're 17 years old at Pandora's box. Odds are you're not going to Villanova. Yeah. Day. For some like, <laughs> That's,
2: white wine and yeah, clam linguine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, there were some people that still hung out around Villanova though. Uh, Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash were hey. still hanging out in the sixties and they were probably shaking their fists at the kids outside. And um, if you ask some of the original owners of the sunset businesses, The new era of Sunset in the 60s was a domino effect, beginning with Garden of Allah becoming... Garden of Allah. That's what became Pandora's Box.
2: Okay, so that's one of those buildings that we talked about in the very beginning that got demolished eventually, Mm -hmm. but you read about it and you're like, holy shit, why isn't this still here? I wish I could see it. It got demolished
1: because it was Pandora's Box. They tore it down because of that. Yeah. Wow. They could have... I know. They should have just... T- turn it into something else yeah garden but of I don't, allah. I don't
2: think it was until the 70s that mm. cal or at least california really started pushing like historical landmarks right right,
1: like, right. Yeah. they didn't really care yeah no. but the, yeah the garden of allah is probably going to be an episode this place was Nuts. sunset it Boulevard was sodom
2: Street. and gomorrah but yes. like in the 20s yeah
1: yeah okay yeah. that'll be an episode we'll yeah. do it hugh hefner lived there for a while in the 70s because he wanted to live at, like, Sodom and Gomorrah, like you said. I mean, wow. by then it was all dilapidated already, mm-hmm. but, yeah. Or uh, not in the 70s, obviously, because it, it was already like torn down. like the 70s. My bad. in the 50s. Um.
2: He was like a thousand, it was probably like yeah. the 30s. <laughs> okay, in
1: 1967, the Dales relocated the Villanova to Newport Beach, where it did well. In 1971, though, Alan Dale, he passed away. And Charlotte had the restaurant until 1992. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, long live. That's Villanova. was a good run. Yeah, it was a good run for sure. It did well in, uh, down there, too, they said, yeah. on the beach. And um, for all
2: those people who used to go on Sunset Boulevard had retired, yeah, too. Yeah. That's why. And yeah. good
1: for her for keeping it open for oh, so yeah, many for years. Oh, for sure. You know, she yeah, didn't that's just great. sell it once Alan died. Yeah. Apparently, that's one Probably thing. It kept her
2: busy. Yeah, and know? that was
1: one thing about the Villanova is Charlotte was Very much, just as much an owner as Alan was. You know, yeah, she was absolutely. Wait, when did they buy it? They bought it in nineteen. I think it said thirty six.
2: Jeez. Yeah, yeah. They ran ninety two. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a fucking good run. Yeah,
1: very good run. In the early seventies, after years of protests and demonstrations, the rock and roll industry fought back in the battle to keep Sunset Weird. In 1972, the club owner, known as one of the fathers of Sunset Boulevard, Mario Malieri, teamed up with music mogul Lou Adler and founder of the Whiskey o Gogo, go Elmer Valentine, to open the Rainbow Bar and Grill. They opened with a party for Elton John, where he performed the first show at the venue.
2: Wow. Yeah, the
1: Rainbow, that's how they opened it up.
2: Wow.
1: Um, they had a huge year of success, uh, and then... They teamed up with one of the film industry's heaviest-hitting producers, David Geffen. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: And Neil Young's manager, Elliot Roberts, who also managed Joni Mitchell. And musician turn manager Peter Asher, to open the Roxy next door to the Rainbow. Okay. Uh, making it one of the most culturally influenced influential corners on any street it in It really the world, is, yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, during the early days of the Rainbow, this building was once again packed with legends. Where Marilyn Gable and JFK used to hang was now packed with rockers like Keith Moon, Alice Cooper, Mickey Dolans, Harry Nilsson, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and Neil Diamond. And when those guys in particular got together, when they hung out at the, at the rainbow, it was the Hollywood vampires was their group name. Yeah. And (laughs) the rainbow was their lair. And there's a, you can look it up. There's a picture online Mm -hmm. of, it says like, Hollywood vampires, and Alice Cooper is standing next to it, and it's got all their names. Isn't
2: that what the new band is called? Yeah, the Johnny, Johnny Depp's,
1: Depp's new band. band. Yeah, or yeah, his or band. I don't know if he yeah. still does it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. He named it after that. Okay. After the Hollywood vampires. Sense. Yeah, who hung out at the Rainbow. Uh, entry into their crew was simple. You had to be famous, <laughs> and you had to out-drink all the vampires. Oh, God. So you did a drinking contest. And oh. you were doing blow, of course, as you were doing the drinking contest. Oh. So you basically just had to be partier, uh, a partier with them. Yeah. And uh, some honorary members who could hang out with them was Joe Walsh, famous rocker Joe Walsh, mm-hmm. and John Belushi. Oh. John Belushi could hang out with the Hollywood vampires. Oh. He could keep up for sure. Yeah. And speaking of Belushi... The last place Belushi was ever seen was at the Rainbow Bar and Grill.
2: Wow. He died at Chateau Marmont, Yeah, he though, died right? at
1: Chateau Marmont. I guess that's true. I guess technically the last place he was seen was probably whoever was at Chateau. He was living there.
2: But, no, but, but I, I know what you mean. Like, for the last, last place, place, he, like, hung out. He hung out. out. He
1: went out. Yeah. He stopped in to, uh, he, apparently he stopped in to pick up a girl to just go in and find a girl to bring back to Chateau. And he always ate As lentil soup. Yeah,
2: lentil soup. Lentil
1: soup. So I, I
2: like lentils yeah, do me they too. still sell lentil soup. I bet
1: they do. Actually, they have I've really. All, I
2: think I've only ever yeah. had mozzarella sticks Yeah, that's there. all we
1: ever order when we go to the rainbows. <laughs> there is their cheese bowls. Che-
2: cheese bowls. Cheese
1: bowls. But uh, yeah, he got some lentil soup. Um, he had a quick conversation with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. Oh. Yeah. And then he went back to the Chateau where he od that night.
2: Also, if you guys ever stop by, for those who are listening that aren't in LA, you still see, like, famous people there. Oh, absolutely. Like, I haven't been there in a while, but a few months ago we were there and we saw a few, like, I'm not going to name names, but, yeah. like, SNL former cast members there and one of them did not look okay
1: (laughs) at all but um probably was drunk oh i think it
2: was more than that but um yeah yeah, like you you still see people there you still see very famous people there and it's it's la so we're all everyone's chill and like just leaves them alone well and i
1: will say this also that place is one of the last places that still, it kept its debauchery. (laughs) Like, that place is still, you will still see people doing blow off the tables at the rainbow, you know, stuff. I don't know if they would like to hear that, but but you do. You (laughs) do. You see some stuff in there. We
2: we went just recently during the day because we wanted to take a picture. I think we wanted to take a picture for this podcast podcast, or something. Or we were trying to research something, but we went a little early and they were closed because they don't open until five. And, um... They were filming a rock uh, a music video for this like a, oh, a right. very 80s looking yeah. rock band. We didn't know who they were, but they were like it looked like we walked in and there was like it, we were in the 80s. It was yeah. this very like it was a hair band. Yeah. It wasn't Steel Panther. People are going to say it's Steel Panther. It wasn't Steel <laughs> Panther, but um, it it was amazing. It was like women in like these little like leather mini skirts, and there was like a sports car. Some it hot was, pants. Yeah, some hot pants, some <laughs> coochie cutters. Um, so, but yeah, it was it was really neat. And like like I said, you still see very very prominent people there. For sure.
1: And it's really cool that they've got like a brick wall outside that has all these rockers etch their name into bricks and stuff. You can see like Alice Cooper and you know, it's, it's a really cool place. Uh, even in, even Elvis and Johnny Cash were coming around again probably reminiscent about how this place used to be famous villanova and that's probably that's probably one of the last place elvis they were both out.
2: probably so high and like elvis was so dumb they were probably like trying to order spaghetti and didn't understand why they couldn't get it anymore
1: word was spaghetti. goody let's meatballs mozzarella sticks
2: well they still have those i could, Sir, we still have mozzarella
1: sticks. I could chop a man in half <laughs>
2: Oh, God, what era was it? What, was it 70s? It was office? 70s. Oh it was Jesus.
1: early 70s. Oh, God. So he was huge yeah. walking into the he was, rainbow. he
2: like yeah. and, Oh, my God. Not, and he was crazy. He, he was absolutely nuts. Yeah. He had his like badge from the president. Oh, that's
1: right. He was being like a cop now. Yeah. a man in half. <laughs> um, in 1975, Kim Fowley was a regular who would come drink whiskey sours and mix with the rockers. And it was in the rainbow that he formed the all-girl rock group, The Runaways. Oh. Yeah, Cheryl Smith, who would eventually replace Sandy West as Mm -hmm. the drummer, was given her pseudonym Rainbow Smith, inspired by the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Oh, wow.
2: Because she was always
1: in there. So the, the runaways started in the rainbow. We'll have to give that movie another watch soon. Maybe it's in God, there. God, I know. I
2: haven't yeah.
1: seen it in a long time. As the 70s came to an end, ushering in 1980's Sunset Boulevard, the face of the rainbow didn't change much, nor did the regulars. All that changed was the music. The fight to keep Sunset a rock and roll hub had been a success, and in the early 80s, it was no longer even a fight. This was the loudest, most outwardly debaucherous era that Sunset Boulevard and possibly all of Hollywood has ever seen. And this is, I would love a time machine for this one.
2: (laughs) I mean, this one, if you watch some documentaries that we've been watching on Hollywood, I mean, on Sunset Boulevard, like, the people who were there talk about going to like hotels nearby or like the Sunset Tower, and you just walk into rooms full of orgies, yeah. like everywhere. Yeah. And it's like, like it was, it was like again, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sorry, that's <laughs> yeah, but it was, it yeah, was.
1: yeah. Eighty Sunset, I think the cops i would not like they weren't even there
2: <laughs> yeah it <laughs> even, seems like they, they weren't Yeah, didn't they did
1: not give two shits something uh, the 80s maybe it was well, the they, told me they would
2: do like drag racing and oh stuff, yeah they drag race like, their motorcycles
1: yeah. up and down the street they
2: would ride the motorcycles in the hotels and stuff oh, that's like right. i don't yeah. even know how yeah. they got them in yeah. there Remember, like, yeah
1: nikki six is like doing donuts in the hotel yeah. lobby the standard and stuff at the time yeah oh the standard that'll be another episode uh The boulevard had become a haven for drug dealers selling to the club goers and sex workers looking for rockers to pay for a good night. You might, well, I said you might walk by an alleyway and catch Robert Plant getting a blowjob chugging a bottle of Jack Daniels because that was actually, people said that they saw him doing that all the time on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Um, On any given night, there was at least 300 people in the parking lot of the Rainbow, all fans of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sometimes in the center of the crowd, Sam Kinison would be doing an impromptu comedy show. The rock gods were all in competition trying to break each other's records of who could get thrown out the most. Axl Rose had been thrown out 11 times, but the record was still 13, held by David Lee Roth's David Lee Roth, whose band Van Halen had become popular after getting steadily booked at Gazaris up the street. That was another big music venue. When Roth did get thrown out, he'd walk up the boulevard and head over by the whiskey. Just around the corner, in a shitty apartment, a new band named Motley Crue had a never-ending party. And this is everybody's got to watch the dirt.
2: Is this is the one where <laughs> you had to go in through the window. Yeah, you had to go door through the window. Didn't work or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the police
1: had kicked in the door so many times that you had to, you had to go through the window. That's who? what Tommy Lee said. I was like, who yeah, was, who that's was Tommy that? Lee? Okay. Yeah, dude, come through the window. <laughs> It was a constant revolving door of future rock stars like Slash and Sunset Strip Partiers all bringing drug and booze, which was appreciated since the band was only making $20 a week performing around the Strip. And yeah, the police kicking in the door. Yeah, but I recommend, for one, I recommend watching The Dirt on Netflix. It's amazing, but I also recommend reading it.
2: I recommend reading it, too, yeah. because the movie definitely sugarcoated. Yeah. something. It's weird to say, but they they actually sugar coated some yeah. stuff and made the band look like nicer guys <laughs> yeah, than yes. they actually were back then. There
1: was a part in the movie cuz I read the book. The book is Neil Strauss, he wrote it. He also he does wrote does a
2: podcast um to live and die in LA. Yes, very to, very
1: live, good. to live and die in LA. Uh he also wrote Jenna Jameson's autobiography for Another her, very great which book. is incredible. <laughs> um what's it called again?
2: <sighs> um that Uh, something porn star. Yeah, yeah. How to have sex
1: with a porn star? How to make make love like a porn star? Yes, please go check that one out too. But yeah, Motley Crue. Like, there's a part in the movie where uh, Nikki Six like sleeps with Tommy Lee's girlfriend. Who became? It turns out that is not the way it went down. Tommy Lee used to pass his fiance around the bar. He would like watch as he passed her around. As that was just they were a gang. They Mm -hmm. they say it in the book and in the movie. But yeah, the, the rockers hanging out on Sunset Boulevard at the time it was it was a rough place to be, and they were they loved violence, they loved uh, just all things hedonism, mm-hmm. you know. Which is uh, like I said, I, I, I wish I had a, a time machine. <laughs> As Motley Crue was on their meteoric rise, the Rainbow was their nightly watering hole. I thought that said not naughty watering hole. I mean, yeah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> it was here where they met Razzle. Uh, the drummer of British rock band Hanoi Rocks, who would later be killed in Vince Neal's Ford Pantera oh, on a beer run in Redondo Beach by Vince Neal's house. So they met him in the rainbow. That's okay. where that whole meeting happened oh, at that booth, at, like like the famous Molly Crew booth. Yeah. He was like, I want to say 19. Jeez. Yeah, or something like that. He was really young. Ugh. Yeah. Vince Neal went to jail for, you know, not very long. Not apparently. long enough. Yeah, yeah. apparently he was still a rock star while he was in jail. Was, Wasn't
2: he British, too, or something?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, Razzle. Yeah. The yeah, mm-hmm. it was a British band, Hanoi Rocks, and they had, they had their first American tour. Oh,
2: that's sad. Mm-hmm. And
1: so Razzle comes up to them at the Rainbow and was like, Oi, mate, I'm Razzle, Hanoi Rocks. And then... <laughs> the
2: man died. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey,
1: he would have loved it. He would have loved being made fun of We're going to get haunted. <laughs> Haunt me, Razzle. Uh, being the iconic location that it is, the rainbow has been mentioned in a number of songs, such as Sunset and Babylon by Wasp, Vampire by the L.A. Guns, and Peach Kelly Pop by Red Cross. Um, it was also featured, like I said, in November Rain, "A Estranged,
2: cold November <laughs> Rain.
1: and Don't Cry by Guns N' Roses. And also, uh, Motorhead did a song, Rock Out, and it was in that video very briefly, yeah, Motorhead, Motorhead is everywhere in the Rainbow. Yeah, like they were, yeah, definitely. And that was, that was like you know, it's definitely that was later than Molly Crew, mm-hmm. but they, I think Motorhead and Lemmy was what kept the Rainbow alive, mm-hmm. like the way that it was supposed to be. You yeah. know, I think they did not let rock and roll die at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. They, yeah. they still kept it. Like it is, and that's why they have the statue of Lemmy there, because he was, he was definitely one of the rainbow's most prominent supporters for one, mm-hmm. but I would say also one of its main preservationists, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, rest in peace, Lemmy. Apparently, he would just sit at that bar and talk to anybody. You could wow. go up to Lemmy and just talk to him about Motorhead, and he was happy to talk to you. Wow. You can see interviews with him where people go sit at the Rainbow and talk to him with the cameras, and they were like, do you mind if we film you? And he's like, ah, sure. Why not?" <laughs> wow. yeah. yeah, Lemmy seemed like a cool guy. Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, he wrote in his book, Scar Tissue, that he often sat with his father, Blackie Demitt. Damn it.
2: <laughs> Damn it.
1: Yeah, that's a bad name. At the club, along with various members of bands such as Led Zeppelin, and often the waitresses and bartenders were groupies, as well as those who frequented, frequented the establishment.
2: I hate that term. Groupies. Like, I know women want to have sex, yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Like, what is why is it demeaning for, like, these beautiful women to be like, I want to have sex with that yeah. rock star? Yeah. And it's like, the rock stars would be like, pfft. They're so easy. And it's like, well, they just want to have sex with you. Like, why (laughs) are you making fun of them? Like, you're skinny and, like, sinewy, and no one would ever want to fuck you unless you were, like, playing the drums, Tommy Lee. Yeah, like,
1: Anthony Kiedis seems like the type to call them groupies, but I don't... Some of those rock stars probably weren't even calling them groupies, because, I mean, those were their fans. You know, these, like...
2: Oh, no, I'm sure they were. Yeah,
1: I'm sure you're right. I, I hope not, but I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that kind of wraps it up. That wraps it up on the rainbow after the 80s, the 90s came along, and everybody's wearing flannel and blah, 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 probably doing poetry at the yeah, rainbow. Yeah,
2: grunge, th- grunge was okay. <laughs> I'm sure.
1: I'm sure Matchbox 20 was like sitting hey, on the patio. they're not
2: grunge. <laughs> That's
1: not fair. <laughs> no, it's just the 90s is boring. But Wow. I mean, wow. listen, in 20 years, we'll talk about what ho- went on in the 90s at the rainbow. But for now, you know, it's just...
2: We're not even
1: gonna. <laughs> no, no the nineties. The nineties was cool, like the rainbow, like the cast <laughs> from the cast from Friends was there. <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was the first episode of LA history, history of LA.
2: Yeah, go visit the rainbow.
1: Go yeah. visit the rainbow. Go to Sunset Boulevard. Go rent a big red 1970s no, you don't need convertible. To do that. And go. I know a guy who will sell you like an eight ball. And then you can go to you can go to Sunset. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sunset is very different these days, which yeah. we're going to get into. In fact, um, James was just lamenting to me about the fact that the House of Blues was demolished, yes. like, you know, within the last few years. And what is in place of the House of Blues now?
1: Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's members-only club. That I think it's like ten thousand dollars a year to go there. They they already had the Soho House for a long time. That's a members only club on Sunset and Little Doheny right there. But mm-hmm. now, uh, yeah, they ripped down the House of Blues and put up the uh, Goop headquarters. They needed basically. a place
2: to store the vagina candles.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on here in L. A. There's a uh, Hollywood Boulevard is about to be completely gutted and renovated. Okay,
2: we're if if I keep letting him go, <laughs> he's just going
1: to keep going
2: and then he'll cry. Okay,
1: this is that was the first episode, everybody.
2: Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. Hope to see
2: you next week or the week after. We haven't figured out a schedule yet. We'll see. You'll see. see. Uh,
1: The next episode is going to be on the Hamburger Hamlet, which is another... It's it's right up the street from the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and it is another very historic place, and it's dear to my heart because I worked there.
2: He worked there. For years. He worked there?
1: (laughs) With my little button-up shirt and slacks that were way too big on me
2: yeah
1: and uh yeah i used to i used to work i started at the to-go stand
2: fresh off the bus from mississippi from coochie
1: cutter county (laughs) all right that's it uh we love you good night good night